This is the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech fan number 22 with Tim Robertson, David Cohen, and special guest, Eel Lake Stubblehouse. And it's tech fan number 22. It's the show all about technology. You never know where the conversation's going to go. Uh, we don't talk about news. We don't usually talk about rumors. And my partner in crime is David Cohen, all the way from the UK. And hey, David. Hello, hello. Last week, we were talking about uh, quite a bit about one of our listeners and a very old friend of mine. His name is Yolak, and he is here. Yolak, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Glad to. Uh, so, did I screw up your name? Uh, I keep I keep saying it different every single time it. I say it. I do. It's true. It's true. And you're not alone. Um, the the uh, last four letters uh, in the first name is the English word lake, and the accent is on the e. So it's eo lake. Eo lake. Say eo lake. That's the way yeah. I used to want to pronounce it, but it just didn't sound right to me. Oh yeah. I thought no, that's can't it can't be like that. That's that makes sense. So thus, it can't be that way. Exactly, that's <laughs> the problem. It looks so foreign, so it has to be strange. But it's it really isn't. So we've known each other online, of course, and I don't think we've met in person. I don't know if you've ever come to a MacWorld Expo and we met in person, did no, we? No, I haven't. I almost went to the one in uh, two thousand or something. Yes. Where all the old folks went, you know, Beth, <laughs> Beth, Beth Luck and all these guys. Del Miller, John Martelloro, John oh, Farr. Yeah. Yeah. I really wish I had gone. That would have been so cool, but I uh, really couldn't. Uh, I know. I, I've said it in the past. That was my favorite Macworld Expo because it was just – it was kind of the end of one era and the beginning of another one. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's the only time I've ever got to meet Rodney O'Lane uh, in person. So, I was, yeah, I wish you could have made it that year. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. But maybe again sometime in the future. They're still going on. So I would I would still like to go for sure. It sounds like a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people, you and Adam Engst and David here. And, and I mean, it's probably a dozen people or, or something at least. That uh, You would uh, not feel out of place, even if you didn't know anybody. Because uh, yeah. I know how long you've been a, a, a Macintosh fan. Yeah. Um, you would not be out of place there at all. I, I have no doubt that I wouldn't. Yeah, I um, I've noticed that the the community has shifted along with with me into from being all about Mac into being half Mac and half iOS stuff, <laughs> and it's all deeply fascinating to me. It I is. Sleep, I sleep with my iPad under my pillow. Next <laughs> I I don't go quite that far. In fact, you know what? This is weird. Last night I had like seventy two percent charge on my iPad. And I held down the top button, slid it to turn itself off. Uh, when I woke up this morning, the battery was completely dead. And it's giving me that red battery thing, plug it in. Oh. And I had it plugged in the computer for about a le- little less than an hour. And that was right, and I, I left, so I don't know the st- state of it right now. But within that hour, it didn't look like it pulled in any charge. 
Now, it's done this before, and I left it plugged in a really long time, and then it just kind of woke up and started charging. But I'm starting to wonder if the there might be an issue with my iPad. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, so, I, when I've seen them run flat like that, that's normally because there's a rogue app in the background that's still hitting the radio even when it's when it's turned off. Because normally with mine, I mean, if I fully charge it and then turn it off, turn it, you know, sleep the screen with the power switch, and then put it in my bag, and then come to it a day, day and a half later, um, it will still be 100% charge. Well, this is when you hold down the power charge and slide it to turn it off. You know what I mean? No, no, no. This is what I see the 100%. If I just put it to sleep, having fully charged it, and then come back to it a day later, it will still be 100% because it won't really have done anything. Um, So if it's not doing that, then that would imply to me that something is running in the background that's, um, that's chewing the battery up. Yeah. And it doesn't doesn't surprise me if it'd gone so flat to the point that the thing wouldn't operate and you just got the red the red battery icon that a USB port on your computer didn't bring it back because those USB ports are quite low um, low current compared to what the charger puts out. Yes. Uh, so uh, I mean I I've kind of but my charger was in the car and I was feeling lazy, yeah. so I didn't. Yeah, go I've, get it. I've 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 really taken to a policy of pretty much when I want to charge my iPad using the charger and not relying on the computer just because it's so slow. Yes, it's um, a lot faster when you just simply plug it so, in. So yeah, I I just tend to carry the charger with me. In I have a I have a mine in, in a bag most of the time, so I tend to make sure I've always got the charger on me, um, just because one one of the downsides of the long battery life of the iPad is that you tend to. With my iPhone, I'm charging it every night because I know I need to. But with the iPad, you just kind of charge it when it runs out, and that will vary depending on how you're using it. So I, you know, I, I never want to be caught short without the charger because it's so infrequent that I have to charge the thing. You know, here's the thing. I use mine so often that if I get under, say, 40%, I start getting paranoid. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm like, I got to you know go. I've found the gauge on it is so accurate. I... I, I I'm agree. Quite comf- I'm quite comfortable using it down to about two or one percent because I know it will continue to operate. It's not like um, many electronic devices when they're down in the last twenty percent, then it's kind of like being in the uh, the bottom quarter of the fuel tank on your car. It's like all of a sudden the the speed of the consumption will change. The, the iPad seems to be pretty linear, and I've regularly used mine down to about two one percent, and then thought, okay, now I need to charge it, but I, knowing that I can rely on it until that point. I, I just get paranoid. I just don't want to be without it. Thus, I feel like I have to charge it. I'll, I'll stop using it just so I can charge it so I'll feel confident later that I can get through, you know, two, three, four hours without worrying about it. I, I tell you, I, rec- I recently picked up a, um, a Hypermax stand for mine, mm-hmm. which is, a, is kind of a, it's a, you know, it looks like a, almost like a plastic block with slots in to put the iPad in, but it has a battery in it, a really big battery. Um, and that's fantastic because whenever you put the iPad onto the stand, you can just run a cable from it to the uh, and and charge it up, and um, and it will do about two charges off this battery. It's very handy. So, Eli, how do you use your uh, iPad? What's the use policy of yours? Is it to browse? Is, do you actually do work on it, or is it more of a a toy consumption device? <laughs> um, I do all kinds of things, but I find that. Uh, the the great interest for me in it is reading. For me, it's it's more a, a, of a of an e-reader than anything else, which which my website uh, reflects. My blog uh, called ereaderjoy.com, and um, 
I do all. I also watch video on it, and I play a few games occasionally, very briefly though, and uh, try different stuff. But for me, the the really big thing is reading. I can hardly read anything on paper anymore. For me, and I'm not even sure why, because it it's it should still be okay. But I really love the iPad so much for reading that it's amazing. Um, the immediacy, the change of font sizes, the you can change back between web articles and books and uh, all all kinds of other stuff that you have on the same device with, within two seconds. Um, I, what, what's I, your, I just find it it's really. What's your book reader really of amazing. choice on the on the iPad? You're like, do you are you a Kindle user or do you prefer the uh, iBooks application? Uh, I. I mostly read Kindle books. I guess that's mostly because of the the great number of Kindle books there are in their store. Because at cheaper that- prices too. Let's not forget that the cheap. It seems like the the Kindle bookstore has the same books as the Apple bookstore, but for significantly less many times. Hmm. Yeah. The 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 currently though, the Kindle app for the iPad has an, an irritating flaw in that the the choices of font sizes are so crude that I almost almost always wish that I could have one in between two the two sizes the second and the third size the second size is slightly too small and the third size is slightly too big and I think there's no reason for them to make so crude sizes because instant paper um, insta paper for instance have like I don't know 20 or 30 different sizes to choose from yeah and, uh, I, I really yeah, I, love that I, I wish the Kindle app had more fonts in it as well it it um to me, it's the uh, it's it, uh, what I struggle with. Not so much the size of the text. It's just I find the font they use somewhat spindly, um, and I'd be happier if they had something a bit chunkier. But I guess that's just a personal preference thing. Really. Yeah. Oh yeah. They only have one font, don't they? Yeah. It's, it's really. I'm 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 happy and and delighted that they have all these reader apps and all these different platforms. That is to to be applauded. I just think they could be refined rather more. You know, let, let's talk about subscription for a few minutes on the uh, iOS devices, as well as how p- a lot of people are starting to accuse Apple of being non-competitive in the iOS. And since we're talking about eBooks, here's a question for you: You tell me who's being anti-competitive here. If I buy an iPad, I can read my Kindle books. Um. I know Sony has to rejigger their Sony e-reader software and resubmit it to the App Store, but they said they're going to do that. So soon I'll be able to read my Sony e-books on my iPad. But here's the question. If I go out and buy a physical Kindle, can I read my iBooks on that? No. How about a a Sony e-reader? Can I take my iBooks or my Kindle content and read it on that device? Nope. So where's the uh, anti-competitiveness here? I, I think a lot of people throw that term around, um, particularly as Microsoft got got prosecuted for anti-competitive practices. But you know, really, I, I it's not if they if they have locked up the entire market um, and there was nothing else, um, then then that might be a different matter. But there are other platforms, there are other devices. Um, and so to say that Apple's being anti-competitive is ridiculous on that score. It's, it's, what I found this whole brouhaha about the subscription kind of indicates is that, is that 
uh, an awful lot of people have made assumptions that Apple will continue to just provide their platform for free and uh, people can profit on the back of that platform. And uh, now Apple's turning around saying, well, actually, no, it's now growing to the point we want to take a cut of that. And everyone's throwing their hands up in the air like it's the end of the world. Um, when, in fact, it's just fair business as far as I'm concerned. Guy Searle and, uh, and Gaz Maz, not on the latest MyMac podcast, one before, which is, I think, 338, I'm guessing. Yeah. I'm shooting in the dark. Um, they were talking about the subscription service. And I, I really wish I was on the show because they got a lot of it wrong. Um, from a, at least in my opinion, I should say, they got a lot of it wrong. Here's the thing that really bothers me more than anything when people say Apple doesn't deserve a 30% cut for subscription service on iOS. Now, you know, like you and I produce content, and as well as David, we produce content. So we know the value of that content. But we're talking about an industry here, the publishing industry, magazines and newspapers that have been dying and crying about their death publicly very loudly for the last 10 years. So in 10 years, what have they done to rescue their business? Nothing. They've done nothing effective. Nothing. They've done nothing. They slashed their staff. They outsourced printing. They did a lot of things to save money, but they didn't do anything to change their business model at all. They basically stood around. A lot of them went out of business, crying about it, and did nothing. Nothing at all. Now, here comes Apple. They create something brand new from the ground up, the iOS, uh, the iPhone, and the iPad. Nothing else like it, especially the iPad. Other companies had attempted to sell tablets but completely failed miserably. So Apple creates this uh, brand-new delivery system. They bring the customers. They bring the hardware. They bring the software and completely started from scratch. The publishing industry jumps on and they go, this is great. It's got a good screen. You can hold it. You can take it to the bathroom. You can read it on the train. You can be on the – Wherever you're at, you can have your content. And distribution of that content now is practically free compared to printing out a newspaper or a magazine and putting on a truck and sending it to, you know, 50 different cities. So Apple creates this whole ecosystem, and it is not open. It's not. And now these companies, these publishing houses, want to get on that device. Fine. 30%. Well, that's not fair. Why should Apple get 30%? Because it didn't exist without Apple. No. I mean, this is this is the issue, and I think um, a lot of the people who've commentated on this have really missed this point. They're not paying... Uh, I mean, Guy and Gaz were talking about this. They're saying, oh, 30% is an awful lot to cover bandwidth and servers and distribution costs and and wireless charges and all this sort of things. That's not what 30% pays for. The 30% is your gateway fee to... 200 million, which is roughly what it must be now, it was 150 million in the middle of last year, 200 million registered iTunes users with devices hooked into our Apple servers with credit cards registered, who basically are now one click away from your subscription content. That wasn't before. No, exactly. That 30% is what your charge is for getting access to those customers. And you know what? 
considering the amount of work that's gone into building those platform and the number of potential customers around the world that have been put in place at your fingertips, that's a bargain. It is a because huge any, bargain. You know, even the mighty Rupert Murdoch <coughs> has failed failed to deliver a platform like this, despite the fact that they're very big in media around the world, they've not been able to break this market. And what have they done? They've partnered with Apple and they've quite happily paid the thirty percent. You like as far as and you know that as far as they're concerned, that's a deal for them. And if, if somebody like Rupert Murdoch thinks it's a bargain, then you can guarantee he's a pretty shrewd businessman. What do you think, Yolak? Like? I generally follow the same lines. I tend to think maybe that thirty percent is a bit high. I think twenty or fifteen percent might be more reasonable. But um, certainly, certainly, you have some very valid points there. It's. I think it, the whole thing is very complex. It's very hard to wrap my head about around. I didn't hear Apple compla- or the music industry complaining about thirty percent. No. Initially, you know what Amazon was? They were getting seventy percent on their yeah. ebook reader for subscriptions. Well, here's the, here's the thing. This is one thing that really um, really kind of ticked me off about this whole debate is that the people who were complaining and saying it was anti-competitive, unfair, were fairly small players in the market. Yep. You know, they were very small developers. They were small music services and that sort of thing who were saying, oh, this is unfair. You know, I do sympathize for their plight. I do. You know, if you if you put your heart and soul into building a business and all of a sudden the world changes around you, it's hard. It's difficult. And sometimes you go out of business and that's not fair sometimes. But, you know, it's just the same as if you own a bookstore and Borders or Walden Books or something opens up down the road and, and eats your lunch. Or if you've got a yep. grocery store and then, um, and then um, you know, uh, Publix opens down the road. It's just exactly the same thing. Unfortunately, that's just the way the world works. Sometimes it changes around you. And the big players, the people who – I mean, Amazon was cited very, very often by an awful lot of people during this debate as an example – of saying, oh, well, you know, Amazon's now going to have to pay an extra 30% or, or eat 30% of everything. Amazon hasn't complained about it. Nope. I, don't, I don't believe Amazon has been um, saber-rattling and putting um, releases into the press saying this isn't fair or anything like that. And Jeff Bezos isn't normally backwards about saying those sort of things if he thinks somebody is having a go at him. <clears throat> so he's not complaining. So I suspect it really has been a bit of a storm in his teacup. And here's the thing. It's, it's not like Apple and the iOS devices are stealing subscribers from their other subscription models. For the most part, and anecdotal evidence does back this up from what I've read online, these are brand new subscribers to your content. Brand new. They're not already subscribed to the paper magazine. Um, they're not paying money for the web portal access. These are brand new subscription people. Uh, and it's usually reoccurring. Yeah. So you're getting 70% off of whatever it is for brand new users. Now, if you're publishing, let's say, uh, a daily newspaper, and so you have your staff, who obviously you have to pay for, which includes 401k, medical, taxes, all that. You're already paying for that. Now, what do you get to take out of the equation? The actual printing costs, which are massive, the distribution, which is massive and very harmful to the environment, and what do you get in return? Well, you give up thirty percent. What do you think printing and distribution costs equal more than more or less than thirty percent? I guarantee yeah. you, it's more. 
And you also get the payment processing taken out of that as well. Yep. You just sit there Which, and uh, collect payments and produce the content. Yeah. That's all you have to do. I don't yeah, understand it's, where it's coming from. I really don't. Oh, well, as, as I say, I think it will probably die down. People people seem to have moved on from it now, and uh, the world will continue to turn. And uh, I, I very much hope that subscription becomes uh, popular on the iOS devices. I'd like to see it succeed because uh, that's the sort of thing I'd like to do. Yeah, it's it's always difficult when uh, there are a new big competitor in the in the city. Um, there was this wonderful South Park episode where a big Walmart moved yes. to the town, and everybody said, "Oh, this big evil corporation is shutting down our cozy little local shops." But everybody still went shopping at at Kmart, Walmart, whatever it was, because it was just so much cheaper. It's amazing. Mm. So you know, <laughs> even the people but, who are complaining voiciously about it to begin with we're shopping there yeah 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 i love that episode um let's take a quick break and when we come back we're going to revisit the topic from the last show writing um i have not made up my well i kind of made up my mind but i haven't actually purchased anything yet so we'll be right back Celebrate Apple's iOS, iPhone, iPod Touch, iPad, and Apple TV with us on the Pocket Size Podcast from MyMac.com with your hosts, Scott and Peter, great reviews from John Nemirovsky of MyMac.com, and segments and contributions from many of the other fine writers of MyMac.com. It's hard to believe so much excitement can fit in your pocket, but it can. Please find us at MyMac.com or in iTunes. Just search for Pocket Size Podcast. You'll be proud to tell your friends that you have us in your pocket. So last week and the week before, David, I talked about uh, the fact that I'm getting much more into writing um, after many years of kind of not writing like I enjoy. But using my 15-inch MacBook Pro isn't the most comfortable to write in. I like it in my lap, but it leaves lines in my arms. It's bulky. It's heavy. Um, so I've been debating on what to get the last few weeks. Yep. So you've got some device selection to do. I do. And, uh, you know, like you actually supplied one of the suggestions via email. Yes. Um, if you're thinking about, I said, just get the, the airbook as I call the MacBook air, uh, because, if to my mind, if if you can afford it and so on, that's uh, really one of the best choices for this. It is only about one kilogram, and it's it's small, it's delightful. Uh, the screen is super clear, and it can do anything uh, a Macintosh can do. I've so, I've had people um, since the last show write in a couple too, who suggested why not get a netbook? You can get them dirt cheap now. Uh, $250, and who cares how powerful it is if it's got a decent-sized screen and a decent keyboard, as long as I have access to Wi-Fi, why would I want to go with the, say, 10-inch or 11-inch MacBook Air at $999 rather than a $300 netbook? I think the keyboard is, is the most important thing. You have to, it has to be pretty near full-size. Yeah, the, the the problem with the, the problem with the netbook is to get to that price. There's a lot of compromises in there. As as you say, you're like the keyboards are smaller, 
than um, the most laptops. Um, and um, the screens as well, a lot of the netbook screens are grainy. They tend to be 24 by 600, which is fairly low resolution. Um, and uh, while you can get decent battery life ones now, you know, it could, you'd have to find the right one. That's the problem. There is probably a netbook out there that could do the job for you, but you'd have to wade through probably about 40, 50 different models in terms of your, your shopping process to actually find the one that's perfect for your sort of task. And the question is, is that something you really want to do? You're going to end up with a device that is no, nowhere near as good as a MacBook Air or, or even, I would suggest, an iPad um, at this point. I mean, I have a netbook. I, was, I use netbooks for a long time, um, but, but I haven't touched my netbook for, in over a year now. Um, just because the other devices I have are, are superior. Now people are going to be writing in saying, why don't David just send you that netbook? <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, it's not mine. It is my company. So. Yeah, here's the thing. I'm not a netbook guy. I don't want some cheap little plastic computer. And that's what they are, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, and it's running Windows. Now, if Windows is your platform of choice, more power to you. I have nothing against it uh, for you to use, but... I'm a Mac guy. I, I'm the CEO of Mac Specialist. I, I'd be a little uncomfortable walking around using a little Windows machine, you know? It's... I still remember a couple of years ago, the first Mac world I came to, and because, because I knew I was going to be on the show floor all week, I had um, one of the very first netbooks, the original EPC, with me. And when I pulled that thing out and put it on the table in front of everyone, everyone's look of mild disgust. <laughs> Everybody looked at it like, "What the you know, heck is that doing and, and here?" There was a few people. A few people came over and looked at it because they'd never seen a computer that small at that stage, you know. But of course, when they actually saw it was running Windows, kind of it, it turned people off really. And that, I think that's an important point. It's uh, they, these machines do not run Windows. Windows Seven is what you would have to run, and they don't run Windows Seven that well. They really are not particularly well powered. Um, and you would probably find that a, a difficult user experience. The other thing as well, they have absolutely tiny and normally quite rubbish trackpads, and that's an important thing as well for you to consider if you're writing on your lap. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I just don't think it's going to to happen. I, I think it's going to have to be a MacBook Air. Well, the MacBook Air is a fantastic machine, particularly the 11-inch. It really is. I, I saw another one yesterday, and... and it's so tiny. That's what gets me. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Eli, have you played with a, a 11 inch? <laughs> well, that was phrased wrong. Uh, an 11 inch MacBook since, Air. Since I was 16, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Oh, good that was Lord. a barefaced lie. <laughs> but um, in any case, I have an 11 inch MacBook Air, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I've actually been wanting for. 15 years now at least uh, something like that something around a kilo at most with a full sized uh, keyboard and a, a good software and a decent screen to write on on the road and um, this is actually a bit overpowered for this um, but you know it's it's definitely a really great mas- machine well let's actually, be honest I, I'm not going to use it just for writing I mean if it's sitting there oh, yeah. I'm going to be jumping on the net. I'm going to, you know, it's going to do other things, but ostensibly yeah, it is going to be my writing machine. So uh, extra power usually gets used, that's that's for sure. Yeah. I was uh, comparing the its keyboard to um, 
a keyboard I got from my iPad, one of these where the case is built in with the keyboard. Yes. It was the Kensington. It turns out to be a pretty crappy keyboard, but I also happened to look at the, the, the screens next to each other. And while we all agree that the iPad has a nice screen, um, the the difference between that and the MacBook Air was just stunning. The MacBook Air has a, such clarity and and it's just an amazing screen. And uh, it makes it makes it interesting to me to see what the the next next version of uh, the iPad will be, what kind of screen it'll have. It's, because, it's interesting you say that actually, yeah, like because because there was a lot of debate before the iPad 2 was launched about whether it would have any form of retina display. I yeah. think you could make a fairly persuasive argument that the 11.6 inch screen on the MacBook Air could be classed as a retina display. It's that good. I don't know. I, th- I, th- I thought the Retina display, Monica, uh, referred to a specific uh, resolution or something. It's a, well, it's a, it's a dot pitch, isn't it? It's about being able to distinguish the pixels. and Yeah, you know, but maybe, I, maybe I my eyes are getting old, the, but I, um, I can't see the pixels on the Mac. So I suppose the, 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 the dot pitch is almost the same on the iPad screen and the uh, MacBook Air screen. So it's not that. It's something else. Uh, right. Something maybe with... Um, because it's glassy, so it doesn't get diffused by the non-glass uh, covering. Maybe. That might be part of it, but it was definitely a clear... And it's the same with the, the newest iPads, no, the newest iMacs. I went to a store, and I was just hypnotized by these uh, dif- displays. I stood there just <laughs> staring at them for two minutes. They're beautiful. Yeah, I've got the uh, 27-inch iMac i7, and... The color saturation is just unbelievable. The brightness. Um, I You could literally be in a 30-foot room that's completely black. Turn on that machine, and it will light the entire room. I mean, yeah. it is so bright. Um, yeah. Just to say nothing of the speed and all that, that probably goes without saying. I mean, it's an i7 quad-core. I mean, it's a very fast computer. But the screen itself is really, let's be honest, that's what sells people nowadays. Yeah. It's not a specs race anymore, is it? You remember no. back in the day, everyone, oh, I've got this CPU and I've got, I don't think people really care about that anymore. I mean, relatively speaking, the MacBook Air is a slow processor. But you put SSD in there um, and all of a sudden it's just a little speed demon with a great battery, small battery or small screen. Um, but people look at it and people like me, look at it and say, it looks great. What we're saying is the screen is fantastic. The the physical keyboard is great. It's lightweight. It feels very rigid, though. It feels well-constructed. But nobody really talks about, well, it's only got this much RAM and it's got this processor and the bus seat. That's that's as it should be because the other thing has just been dumb. Yeah. I, I I agree. I'm, not, I'm I run parallels on mine. I'm running Windows in there. Uh, it it's just no, it doesn't miss a beat. It really doesn't. I've yet to come across a task that's really caused it to struggle. So that brings me on to my question, Tim. You were talking about possibly trading up your 15-inch MacBook Pro for one of the new models. Yep. If you're going to go for a MacBook Air, would you consider perhaps holding off on that, see if you can survive with just the MacBook Air? No. Um, some of the stuff that I'm doing, A, I need much greater hard drive uh, sizes. And you can't get that in the airline. Even the top of the line, 120. Oh, is it to come? In? It also comes in 256 too, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Even that's not enough. I I do need close to a terabyte of data uh, storage, uh, professionally. Yeah. Just recording this podcast alone, I would be hammering the CPU, 
and I'd be hammering that SSD drive. Um, so no, I need more storage, not less, when it comes to an everyday working machine. You know, I'm in Photoshop a lot. I'm an Illustrator. Uh, I'm using custom software for work. Uh, there's a lot to it that I need, and I don't think that the Air would hold up for long. Well, talking about power, have you happened to visit my video site on, on Vimeo? No, I, I haven't. Have a, I have a little Vimeo a video I, I recorded there, so it's just less than two minutes. Uh, one day, I had done something wrong with the macro, and what it did is select every app in the apps folder and double-click them all. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Ouch. about 300 apps, something like that, because I've been collecting them all through the years. And they all started, and I had this <laughs> long snake over under the bottom, and many of them were asking for passwords. So, you know, one-third of them was bopping up and down. It was fantastic. And I, I videoed it with my little Lumix GF1 camera going over this, which is 300 apps all starting at the same time. During the middle, there was some, the screen went wobbly and so on. But in the end, I, I could swear they all they all uh, worked and uh, the machine didn't crash I think uh, and this is a, a power power Mac tower I think this is um, an Intel tower I think that's a, a testimony to the power uh, these guys have it's uh, you know I just don't think that it's it's the right machine for me for work but for everything else I think it'd be fine yeah but I could be wrong I mean I think you're right yeah yeah so what is your everyday computer, both of you guys? Start with David. Uh, well, you say that like there's only one. <laughs> <laughs> you know me. I do know you. See, at home, I've got a 2.4 gigahertz um, Intel iMac. Uh, yeah, it's about two, three generations old now, but it does the job for me. Um, at work, I use my 13-inch MacBook Pro with the hard drive replaced with a, a, an SSD. Um, and then when I'm on the on the road, then I have my my 11 inch MacBook Air, and uh, normally my iPad to hand as well. Next, is that me? That's you. Okay. Um, for many years, I was sort of uh, basically using two machines because I needed a powerful tower machine to do all the work with photos that I did and the web design. But they they were so noisy that I also used sometimes an, an iMac and sometimes a portable for just email and web. Uh, this was a bit clumsy, though. They were in different rooms and transfer files back and forth. But this all changed when the Intel machines came around because the um, Intel, Intel Power Machine, what's this, three, four years ago? Uh, was just not only so fast, but also a lot quieter than the G5. And so yeah. I had the best best of both worlds in one machine. So these days, 97% of my work is being done on that. And I have two 30-inch monitors just dominating the littlest little office. It's a beautiful and very powerful setup. Very good. So, David, the iPad 2 came out yeah. this week, and all three of mm -hmm. us here are big iPad fans, no question. I got mine the first day that the first iPad came out. I've got a 32 gigabyte Wi-Fi only. And, you know, but to be honest, I don't miss not having 3G at all. Um, that being said, you know, like, 
What do you think? iPad 2, are you going to sell your current iPad, rush out and buy this one, or? I am, I'm probably going to get the iPad 2, yes, just because I'm, uh, I'm a hopeless sucker for them. <laughs> uh, I just, it's not a, it's not a hard, it's not a necessary upgrade. If it had, uh, had higher screen resolution, it would be not have been strictly necessary for me. As it is now, I'm looking forward to it being a little flatter and lighter, and I'm looking forward to being faster. The cameras might be fun, so on, but um, that's about it. Uh, I I like good toys, and this is one of the best. I realized, you know, I've always been talking about the usefulness of the iPad, but also uh, just to, to do, you know, emphasize this. This is not just a toy, but it's really so much fun. It's amazingly fun. And I would just, you know, if I was forced to live a, a week without one, it would just <laughs> kill me. Um, so, yes, I'm, I'm going to get it. David? David. David Cohen. We can, Hello. Yes, we can hear you now. He's gone. Uh, did I lock up for a minute there? Yep, just for a minute. But you're back. Okay. iPad 2, you going to uh, sell your current iPad by a new one or? Well... I'd, I'd said boldly on this podcast that I wasn't going to upgrade, uh, and um, I, I don't think I don't think what they released is. I think it's a good upgrade. I think it's a solid upgrade. I don't think it's a compelling, necessarily trade in and, and upgrade. Um, if you're happy with the machine you've got, and I'm certainly happy with mine. However, um, a certain fellow podcaster that we know is going to be in the States on the 12th of March. <laughs> so we did a little bit of an email exchange this morning, and there's a possibility he might be able to pick one up for me. And now if I do that, if I get it through the States, then uh, effectively it will cost me about the same as what I can sell my existing model for. Ooh, so I might... one for me too. <laughs> That's the thing, isn't it? He might be coming back with quite a few. That might cause some the, awkward problems. The customers. podcasting mule. Will exactly. be his. Oh, I really need seven machines for my work. <laughs> so, so if I if I can capitalize on opportunity like that, I might well um, do that and upgrade. I have to say, I was one of the things that I think impressed me. There's the, well, there's two things that impressed me most uh, from what I saw of the launch. First of all, is how they've made the new one look so much thinner than the existing one. The new, the old one now looks really kind of clunkily and prehistoric compared to the uh, the case on the new one it's a really clever bit of design um, but the other thing is is actually the software they announced um, particularly GarageBand for the iPad I can't wait for that yeah I don't know um, I'm of two minds of course I want one there's no question but I don't think it's such a significant upgrade from the original iPad which I love I love my iPad so much that I think I might skip it unless something yeah. bad happens to my current iPad or someone makes me an offer I just simply can't refuse. I yeah. don't see a compelling reason to spend any extra money on the iPad 2. I don't need the camera functionality. It would be nice for FaceTime with the, with the family when I'm in the hotel, but I have an iPhone 4 for that. And so and if, you get a Mac, if you get a MacBook Air, then you're, you're going to have that as well. Oh, well, I've got my MacBook Pro. Yeah. So, I mean, they've already got that functionality. Um, is it thinner? Yeah, it looks a little thinner, but here's the thing. Mine's always in a case anyway, so I don't care how much thinner it is. I'm not going to see any benefit from the, the being significantly thinner. Um, the screen resolution's the same, so it's not going to 
for the most part, when you're using it, it's not going to feel or look any different than the current one. Now, I know yeah. that there's a faster graphics chip in there as well as a faster processor. But for everyday use, it's not going to play my movies any faster. It's not going to allow me to scroll my ebooks any faster. No. I, th- I think the, what we may see in time is a bit of um, differentiation in the App Store to between apps that will only run on the iPad 2 because they need the extra horsepower. So, so that it, it could be this, towards the end of this year, you know, the Christmas I don't think I don't think you're going to see it for this one. I think when the iPad 3 comes out, then you'll start seeing that, David. But I don't yeah. think developers want to cannibalize 20 million current users out there. Yeah, but it's having said that, new. even the word on the street is that the uh, the iMovie they just announced will only run the iPad 2, not the original. Though I don't know whether that's because of the built-in cameras. I don't. That doesn't make any sense to me because the first iPad has more than enough horsepower to run iMovie. I mean, look at look at the first generation of Macs that came out with iMovie. It was a G3 iMac. I mean, my iPad has ten times as much power in it. Well, not ten times, but a significant improvement. Yeah. So I think it's I think that's done more for marketing reasons, perhaps. So if you want to be able to edit on there, you do need to get a new one. Because let's be honest, Apple's in the business and selling iPads. That's what they want yeah. to do. I'm wondering about the rumor whether this iPad was uh, an intermediate one and that the one with the higher, higher resolution display is coming in the fall. Oh, I think that's always the case. I, I think that Apple's not going to make a significant change between one and two the first year. Usually yeah. with Apple products, every other product is the big significant change. iPhone was yeah, a little I, bit different, but still. Yeah, but I don't see another iPad coming out this year. No. I, I, don't, I don't see them launching an interim product for um, three months and then replacing it with, with something better. They, that, the only people who would need to do that is somebody who was really struggling in the market, and they own this market. They defined it, and they made a big thing at the announcement about how their competitors are, are struggling to ca- catch up with their first gen while they're moving on to gen two. I, uh, you know, I think the iPad 3 is coming, but I don't think we'll see it till this time next year. Here's the thing. It looks to me like Apple is kind of following the automobile industry when it comes to release. There's a new one every year. It's not usually so significantly different from the one before that the ones the people who just bought one doesn't feel gypped. Uh, but there does come a time two or three years down the product line where there is significant changes. So the people who bought the original one are ready for the new one. I think that's kind of the model Apple is somewhat following. Yeah. What do you think, like? Yes. Yes, you're probably right. Um I didn't own an iPhone until iPhone 4, and uh, part of the reason, admittedly, was that for the first time I could, uh, here in the UK, I could get it with pay-as-you-go instead of uh, having to pay an abs- uh, a ridiculous amount every month just for the privilege of owning one, but also that it was just now a very powerful machine with an excellent camera and a fantastic screen, and it looked beautiful and so on. I love my really- iPhone 4, I really do. And I'm yeah. torn... When the iPhone 5 comes out, probably in a couple months if history repeats itself, which it usually does, um, do I jump on the iPhone 5 next or do I keep my 4 for a while? I don't know. Just the term iPhone 5 sounds like it should be just a hugely significant product, doesn't it? Hmm. It does. It does. But, you know, I think I think the last one was, was a fairly big change with the high-res screen, so I think this one will be the... Um, the equivalent the iPad update. 2. Yeah, I think I think it will be a minor tweak. I don't think it's going to be, a, a, you know, a huge 
a huge change. Yeah. iPhone iPhone four is a monster. It's just it's gorgeous and what it can do and so on. I'm still amazed by it. I've had it for several months now. Yeah. yeah. I got an email uh, a couple weeks ago, and I thought it was kind of spamish, but then I got another one from the same company, and they called me out by name, and they sent it to an email address that doesn't have my name in it. <laughs> yeah. So they wanted me to try out um, these two discs that they have for – Oh, music beats and sound effects and stuff like that. And since I produce podcasts and record tech fan, I thought, well, you know, why not? And all they wanted in return was for me to give them a shout out. And so I got these in. They're called Jewel Beat. And mm-hmm. uh, one's a CD, one's a DVD. It's just complimentary, royalty-free music and sound effects. So I want to give them a shout out for sending it out. And I did listen to, I mean, there's thousands of these things on there. Obviously, I haven't listened to every one. But I kind of, you know, scrolled down through them doing previews of, and this sounds pretty good. So uh, yeah. if you guys are interested in checking out jewelbeat.com, I think. Uh, yes, jewelbeat.com. If you're looking for sound effects and stuff, this might be right up your alley. Royalty free. You can't beat that. That's always good, especially for podcasters. We're broke. Um, it's not an endorsement. I haven't really used them in any project or anything yet. But hey. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to take. Try. Yeah, well, why not? We're going to take one more break, and we'll be right back. And uh, what are we going to be talking about, David? Uh, let's talk a little about about photography, because I know that yeah, like is a, a bit of a photographer. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll be right back. back from that break and we're all rested and ready to go into our final segment so uh eel lake you you're a, a photographer in your uh in your uh, spare time as well i believe yes uh i've been doing paintings and drawings since i was maybe four or five years old but when i got into my early teens somebody gave me a camera and i got my well widely in love with photography and yeah. I, I read the 15 books they had in the library about it. And uh, <laughs> I bought myself what everybody considered a wildly expensive camera uh, for such a young man. Right. And uh, I've been doing it on and off ever since. It's, um, it's, it's very attractive to me. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's a combination of the creativity with the extrovertedness. It's one of the few creatives, creative endeavors where you also... You look outward a little bit, so you don't end up in a little ball inside your own head. Okay, so that's that's interesting. So you've ridden the the kind of the transition from from sort of semi professional film to to digital, then I presume. Yes. So how how have you? I mean, how have you found that? Like, I, I'm always interested to kind of explore this topic because, but when I when I really got into photography, into photography, and any sort of a big way, digital was already here. So for somebody who was used to working in film, um, you know, do you find it less inhibiting or less creative or more so being able to do digital work nowadays? Oh, it's a, it's a big, uh, big release, uh, not having to, to wait and do all the work before you can get the pictures. It's, it's, mm-hmm. a, big, it's a big mess. I mean, just for one thing, uh, you can do it in color. You could technically do uh, 
color in darkroom, but it's very difficult. It's you have, temperatures has to be very very precise, and right. um, and and you don't you can't really control the colors very much, and you can't control the contrast at all. Right. Whereas in in uh, in Photoshop, you plug in the memory card, you have the pictures within twenty seconds, and you can do almost anything to them. It's just really amazing. But do you, do you find that do you find that accessibility and they'd be able to to have a faster workflow? Does that how has that changed the creative process? Because one of the things I would imagine you had with film was, you know, maybe you took more um, care and set up over a shot, knowing that you only had twenty four shots before you had to change roles or thirty six exposures. Whereas now you can shoot one hundred fifty two hundred photos and then pick out the best ones. That's one of the big debates. I have uh, one of my uh, regular readers on my main blog is always arguing that, um, uh, well, for one thing, he's arguing that any film coming from Hollywood is crap. <laughs> this is, he had these hard stances and things. Uh, but he also says that uh, digital is not a boon but a bane to creativity. And he, he claims that he hasn't heard anything really interesting come out from creative media, whether within me, uh, music or photography or anything. And um, sometimes I can see his viewpoint, but on the other hand, I, I get upset by it because it felt just definitely for one thing, it does not have to be that way. I don't yeah. see why being able to do something easily should destroy your creativity. It's just, yeah. it's just silly. Um, yeah. So <laughs> you see, yeah, no, I, I kind of, I kind of see both sides of the argument. I mean, I, I would say in regards to your, uh, to your commentator, I, I suspect whichever generation you go to, in whatever particular field you're talking about, you'll always, there'll always be people who think the modern way of doing things is. Is uh, is not as good as the old way of doing things, and, uh, yes, and yes. you know might might not turn out so well, and, and perhaps always have have a nostalgic view. Maybe that's a rose tinted glasses thing. I don't know. I, as I get older, I find myself thinking like that myself every now and again, and maybe yes. it's just like you know getting old. I, get, I don't know. I get that way with nostalgic myself. Start I start thinking about growing up, you know, in the seventies and eighties, and oh, TV was so much better back then, and then you watch one of those old shows and realize, no, actually, TV right now is the best it's ever been. Yeah, it, it, was. It, it was terrible back there. We had no choices. We had drivel shoved down our throat because of no choices. It's so much better. Almost everything now is better. <laughs> it's yeah. just better. Yes. And, and from I, the computer perspective, I think all you need to do is go and fire up an old computer and start trying to exchange trying to get it on the network or exchanging things by <laughs> floppy and you maybe you realize you have it you have it pretty good now you have it pretty good now absolutely <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah there's a fam- famous uh, black and white photography magazine a small publica- publication they are selling um high quality prints in in um, pretty small sizes but very high quality at at very uh, reasonable prices and this guy wrote an article, and it's even a few years old by now. He wrote an article where they carefully took the same picture and they made the best possible print they could in various media, various darkroom prints, and a couple of different prints uh, with inkjet printers. And he asked a, a handful of different people, some of them new photography, others you know, came in from the street or the office, and um, everybody preferred one of the, the uh, inkjet prints by far over the others, 
it was just superior and even the the longevity of it is supposed to be better and so this is beat, beat the, the dark room work hands down yeah well from yeah. my own limited perspective uh you send out photos occasionally to uh, to your friends, and I uh, I'm happy that you put me on that distribution list because I have to say I've seen your, some of your photography and it is extremely good. Thanks. I really enjoy. I, I can't tell you how many times that I've got. Ah, that's going to be my new desktop picture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That, that's I, kind of the new art gallery now, isn't it? Your desktop picture. I love yeah. when that happened because one of my my friends who is really highly educated both as a scientist and an artist he he lost his file one of those blue pictures i took of uh, ice flowers on top of a car mm-hmm. and he said i lost that i've been using it for four years as my desktop can you <laughs> send me one please four years i said wow. wow what a compliment i changed my desktop every two days and that's almost like a, a it's a picture yes but it's at that point, it's almost photography on your wall. It's almost art on your wall because you look at your computer all day long, and there it is. Especially these yeah. modern big screens. I, I realized when I got the 30-inch screens that it was not just luxury. It was a completely new way of looking at photos. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're bigger than almost anything I have on my wall, and, and the, 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 the contrast is better, and etc. It's amazing. I find with the Apple TV as well, my, my Apple TV will automatically pull photos down from my computer and display them as a screensaver. Um, oh, how do you do it, that? What software uh, do you use? Uh, it's, it's, it's part of iTunes. It's just basically if you sync, if you sync photos to your Apple TV, uh, this is the first gen, not the second gen, um, then they will, when it, when it, before it goes to sleep, it will, it will start Screensaver. Yeah, as a screensaver. Um, and you and, just point it at your iPhoto library, and it will just take yeah, your iPhotos and which, display them on your television. And, and there is something quite magical about the first time yeah. a member of your family sees pictures of your children on a 37-inch screen. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it is completely different to seeing snapshots in an album or even sending them to somebody via email. When the impact is immense... Yes. Uh, and uh, you know it, it really can be it can really be bright, quite breathtaking the effect of which was only slightly diminished by the fact that the last time it did that um, my father wanted to see them and he waited until it started doing that and uh, mixed in with all pictures of the family it was all my eBay photos oh <laughs> so, yeah nice so he was getting pictures of computers and hard drives and this and that and the other as well as uh, pictures of the family he wasn't so keen on those ones no <laughs> No, but you can you can actually select which albums yeah, to sync over to your I, Apple TV as well. I just hadn't bothered to do that. Right, I just uh, you know. And and there's actually some uh, at least in the first generation of uh, Apple TV. I'm not so sure about the new one. I, I can't imagine that they would change it. Um, you can have different effects between the pictures, so it could be more of a Ken Burns effect. Yeah. Uh, you can have multiple pictures kind of appearing and falling like snapshots on a desktop. Uh, it's quite nice. It really is, and it does a fantastic job of letting you see your pictures, especially when you just give it a very broad range of pictures to go through that you probably haven't looked at since you originally took that picture. I mean, in, in that vein, uh, Ear Lake, have you, have you taken all your old film stuff and, and digitized it so that it's all in the same place, or do you still have piles of negatives and photo, print photos that are kind of tucked away somewhere and you haven't looked at for a while? Um, I, I went through the bulk of my work uh, back in the 90s and took what I considered to be the cream and got them scanned. 
Right. And okay. and I got them onto photo CD, which interestingly enough you can't read anymore. And I've, I, <laughs> so I discovered that two years ago, and I I, I I saved all I could. I got an old program which could read them, and I saved them all as as Photoshop files or something. So they should be. But that was a bit of a shock to learn that it gets uh, old so fast. But um, so I got some some pretty decent quality files from that. Okay, yeah, that's a topic I, that I've talked about, David, back on yeah. the OWC radio. Is you need to probably every three to four years migrate your old data up to whatever you're using now. Because let's say you wrote something in ClarisWorks, if you yeah. waited too long, you don't have an application that can now open that file. Yeah. You got to hunt up an old computer, open it up, figure out what format to save it in. At that point, just trying to get it to a current format. So, I, I, and I think yeah, photography I have, is the same way. I have a pile of archive stuff that I actually have on uh, DLT tape. Oh, that was archived off an old computer. Now I still have the drive, but the drive is a SCSI drive. I don't have any computers with SCSI on anymore. Um, and I'd I'd probably struggle to even remember what software was used to actually write those tapes. So. <laughs> <laughs> there really is a problem there that I need to figure out how to solve when I've got some time before it's too late. Storage medium was something that I was really paying attention to. I mean, a lot of this stuff, like you, David, it started on a floppy. Then I made, migrated it. And, uh, you know, like you're the same way, but you, then you migrated it over to the 100 megabyte zip drives. And then uh, maybe the jazz drive, which was a massive one gigabyte. And then you migrate it to a CD, then a DVD, and then you know maybe a uh, thumb drive and hard drives, and it's constantly moving that old content to new storage medium, so you could still read it. Yeah, yeah. I think I skipped several of these. I may have gone from a SCSI drive directly to a hard drive, but the principle is the same. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even with, even with hard drives, you could, you could think, oh well, hard drive's safe because. You know, that'll be readable forever, but it won't be. I mean, already IDE yeah. drives are, are well on the way out. I mean, no com- new computers can talk to those anymore. I have a scary, scary story, by the way. Uh, after I moved uh, to, I lived for a little while in Scotland in the year 2000. And when I moved there, I drastically cut with almost everything. And the only computer I brought was my new uh, laptop, Apple, the first Slimline laptop Apple did. Oh yes, the black one and uh, very good machine. And for a, a while, now, maybe half a year, and I don't know what I was thinking, but I didn't have any backup strategy, and so I had to. By the uh, way, we can hear you really well playing with that piece of paper. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, I had to take a, a, a plane back to Denmark and back to Scotland, and. Um, I was I was just so tired. I had been working so hard, packing the last things over the weekend, and my ears were stuffed when I got out of the airplane. And I got That's into never a taxi. Fun. No, I got into a taxi, and then somebody sitting in a nearby car waved to me, and he said I couldn't hear what he was saying. He pointed at the the, the luggage trolley, and there was sitting my my uh, my bag with my laptop. <laughs> Which I would have forgotten if it hadn't been for the, And this had my whole life on it, all my work, all my files. And as, like I said, I didn't even have backup for it. Uh, and that was just ridiculous. So uh, this yeah. guy, just, he just saved my life. 
That happens, though. And you, you have all your content digital. you got to make sure it's backed up somewhere, you know, yeah, that you absolutely. have redundancies. I, you know, professionally, I deal with that every day. Somebody will come into one of our stores wanting us to save this hard drive. It's an old, you know, laptop PETA drive. And this is the only place their child's baby pictures exists. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's heartbreaking knowing that there's really nothing you can do. You know, maybe they can go through a company like Drive Savers, but that's going to cost them a couple thousand dollars to get the, yeah. you know. Oh, I have another, another scary story. Uh, my good friend Laurie lives here in town. He's a professional photographer, and he's done a lot of, of work over the years. And everything he had done uh, before digital, he got scanned, scanned and got on one computer on one hard disk. And I told him you should get it backed up. So I sold him an older hard disk, external one, and he backed up to that. And something very strange happened. Somehow, when it got unplugged or something, it deleted everything on itself. And it also deleted the same files on his computer. Oh. I don't know how that happened, but that was, yeah. oh, my God. And, and also the, the, the backup drive died at some point. So mm. we, went uh, much, place, yeah. we went to my place. We went to my place, and, and uh, we could, I couldn't see them. And after half an hour playing around with things, suddenly I could see the files. And I said, don't touch anything. <laughs> I, I will copy these files to my hard disk, and we'll go to lunch while that happened. And when we come back, I had all the files, and the, the external uh, disk was totally dead. It was it was the guys who were, who, who live and breathe their storage always say, if something doesn't if something isn't in three places it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. You know, yep. so you can't you can't even rely on just having one backup drive. You really need to back it up twice. Yeah. So with that little uh, bit of advice, we're going to wrap up Tech Fan number twenty two. You know, like thank you very much for being here, man. I know I've tried to get you on a, on the show for a number of years now, so I'm I'm so psyched that you actually got on it. Oh yeah, it's been great. But see, now that we've we've broken that barrier, you're going to have to come back on more often. Would be my my pleasure for sure. No, definitely it's, ours. David, so long, you and so I have something to talk about. You know, I'm game. Yeah, well, you know, that's the thing. Sometimes we 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 have a very rigid schedule. These are the topics we want to talk about. But other times, I like to kind of keep it more free flow, more conscious thought. What comes out comes out. Um, I, those are funner shows for me to do, if I can use the term funner. Um, there, to me, it's it's more of a conversation, talking between friends. And I really enjoy that aspect of it sometimes. Oh, but yeah. I do like the rigid, hey, this is what we're talking about this week. So, David, we'll be back on uh, one week, the 11th, yeah. to record another episode. But then it looks like my schedule is going to basically not allow me to be on two podcasts, the one in the middle of the month. And the one at the uh, well, basically the beginning of next month in April. Yeah, and so, so we're gonna we're gonna yeah. we're gonna see what we can sort out for that. We'll we'll come up with something. I'll either do something myself, or um, we'll line somebody up to uh, to have a chat to, and uh, we'll kind of keep things going. And we'd love to hear from you guys. We're always looking for feedback. The easiest way to get a hold of us is email. It's feedback at mymac.com, or you can send a direct message on Twitter. It's just at mymac. Where are you on Twitter, guys? Both of you. I'm David B. Cohen on Twitter. I am Eulake. E-O-L-A-K-E. Yes. You're the only one. Yes, uh, that's one of the things by the, the upside to having a name that nobody can burn <laughs> is that <laughs> I can always be found. When you, you, know, when you Google me, you'll find 30,000 pages uh, with, and it's all me. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, if they uh, Google your name and my name, they'll actually find an interview that you did, I think via email, back in 2000 for the Mac Observer. Is that right? Yeah, <laughs> I know. You probably don't even remember that. Um, and so you can also send us video, or I'm sorry, uh, audio message. You can basically on your telephone. one 5559 and we'll play your comments right here on Tech Fan. So with that, we're going to wrap up the show. We'll see you guys next week. Back up your data.